Christ is risen. Or in the words we've been using recently, Christ is forsaken no longer. He is forsaken no longer indeed. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the 22nd Psalm. It's in the Old Testament. That's the the part we don't normally go to on Resurrection Sunday. It's the part before Jesus came. But it's also the part that told us that Jesus was coming and what He was going to do for us. For the last several weeks, we've been studying Psalm 22 together as a church family. By the way, if you're a guest with us this morning or a newcomer, welcome. You're catching the tail end of our sermon series, but you got here just in time for the big victorious ending. Can I just say, please come back next week and the next week and the next week if you can. If you're visiting from out of state or another church, I understand. Don't come back next week. But I've noticed that some people only come on like Christmas or Easter. And we're so glad you do come at those times. But we want to invite you to come on other Sundays as well. There's a lot more to this Christianity thing than just two Sundays a year. Some of you may have expected baptisms today because we've often had them on Resurrection Sunday. I love it when we do. But that's not the only Sunday that we can do baptisms. We have a license to do them other Sundays. In fact, I actually expect more baptisms in the next few weeks, maybe in the next month. I've been teaching a class on it, and they're almost ready to go. So you never know when something like that might happen. Check us out. Every week we open the Bible together and see amazing things. So I want to invite you to worship with us again next week, and the next week after that, and the week After that as well. Have you found Psalm 22? Psalm 22 starts out incredibly depressing. It's a sad song of anguish and abandonment and excruciating pain. Last week we saw that it was on the lips of Jesus when He was crucified on the cross. If you were on the cross, you were nailed to a cross, what would you be saying? What would you be praying? What would you be singing? What would you be what would come out of your heart and mouth? Well, for Jesus, it was Psalm 22. The first words of Psalm 22 were some of Jesus' last words before he died. It starts out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" It's a cry of dereliction. A cry of pain. An anguished cry of torment that was originally written by King David to express his affliction, but was so much more experienced by our Lord Jesus Christ. What David merely tasted, Jesus swallowed whole. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus was experiencing that question as no one ever had, and no one ever else ever will. And we saw last week that it went further than just that verse. Jesus fulfilled the whole psalm. It was written, catch this, a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. But it predicted how Jesus would suffer down to many of the details. His groaning. His being scorned and mocked. The wagging of the heads of those around him. 
His being surrounded by His enemies. They're casting lots for His clothing. Even down to verse 16, they have pierced My hands and My feet. A thousand years before He was born, David, before Jesus was born, David wrote that. And Jesus lived out Psalm 22 to the extreme. Jesus was God-forsaken on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus became sin for us on the cross. And you know how God feels about sin. Jesus experienced the righteous wrath of God for our sins in His body on the tree. Or in the words of another Old Testament passage written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? But Jesus did not stay forsaken. See, that's what we celebrate this morning. Not just that He was forsaken, but that He did not stay forsaken for long. And you see, Psalm 22 predicted that as well. We often miss that. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading Psalm 22, I'm reading along and I'm getting more and more depressed and eventually I just give up. I almost tremble to think of what Jesus did for us on the cross, but that's just the first two-thirds of the psalm. In verse 22 of Psalm 22, the psalm really changes. It takes this big turn, and then it gets big and expansive and joyful and glorious as it heads down the last stretch. I think we often forget to read to the very end. You know when you're telling a joke and you say, wait for it, right? You get to the end. Stick with me now. Go all the way to the end. So the end is where I want to start today. Psalm 22, verse 22, and read it to the end. And remember that whatever David meant by this in his life, Jesus fulfilled it to the extreme. Let's read Psalm 22, verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him, all you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him for dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn for He has done it. Let's pray together. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. 
His rule and reign, we will forever sing. All glory be to Christ because He has paid our debt and raised this life up from the dead. That's our song, Lord, and it's our prayer. Help us to see it and feel it like never before. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. What are some of your favorite comebacks of all time? Now, I don't mean funny lines where you return tit for tat, but that the turnarounds, the reversals, the returns from far behind. I know a bunch of you are sports fans, and that's where your mind immediately goes. So maybe you go to Penn State football, December 15th, 1985. I'm sorry, November 6, 2010, Penn State versus Northwestern. You remember that game? They were behind 21 points. Biggest comeback of Joe Paterno's career as coach of the Nittany Lions. Or maybe you go to Pittsburgh Steelers football, December 15, 1985, against the Buffalo Bills. Again, a 21-point comeback. Only happened three times in Steelers history. That day, plus against the Ravens in 1997, and against the Chicago Cardinals in 1953. Or maybe your sport is wrestling and you're thinking about this year's Penn State NWCA dual championship. They came back from a 13 0 deficit to win 27 13. Or maybe you're thinking about the Chicago Cubs and their game seven of this last year's World Series and how that was a comeback to win the World Series after 106 years of never winning the World Series. Or maybe you're like me, and you had to Google to find out any of that. (laughs) Whether you're into sports or not, we all have comebacks that we love. Maybe it's the twisty ending of your favorite movie, where it seems like the scrappy hero has lost for the last time. And then wonder of wonders, he comes back and beats the bad guys. Or that video game you love to play. Remember that time you came back from so far behind and beat your brother or your sister? Yeah, those were the days. Or maybe it was someone who came back from cancer or from the brink of divorce or from bankruptcy. They were headed for the falls and they somehow beat back the current and they survived. What's your favorite comeback? What if we love comebacks so much because at the very center of history is the greatest comeback ever? Jesus came back from being forsaken by God. You know, if you're forsaken by God, you're a goner. Jesus came back from the dead. King David anticipated this comeback in verses 22-31 through of his famous psalm. Life was terrible, and he was crying out to God to rescue him, but he believed that God was going to save him. So he planned in advance to praise him. Look at verse 22 again. You've got to feel the change. 21 verses of doom and gloom and rightfully so. A blistering mess. He was so upset, so full of anguish. And then all of a sudden, verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. I will. 
You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Revere Him, all you descendants of Israel. Why? Why does He say? For He has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. You see, David expected to be answered. To be saved. To be rescued. He did not believe that he would remain forsaken forever. That God would answer his cry for help. And the same is true for Jesus. He just had to die first. See, Jesus did everything bigger than David. You know how everything's bigger in Texas, right? Texas is like Jesus. Alright, Jesus is bigger than David in everything. David felt like he was dying. Jesus died. David believed that God would restore him. Jesus was restored from the dead. David felt forsaken. Jesus was forsaken, but is forsaken no longer. In the resurrection, Jesus is forsaken no longer. The resurrection was the greatest comeback of all human history. And it is historical. You see, the resurrection actually happened. Jesus actually came back from the dead. Not in some metaphorical or analogical way. Not in some mythical way. It actually happened. Really, truly, Jesus was dead. Flatlined. No brain activity. It wasn't like the princess bride. He was only mostly dead. He was totally dead. His body was a corpse. The, the pronouns change from he to it in the Gospels about his body. He was just a, it was, his body was a corpse. But three days later, he was alive again. If you don't believe that yet, I challenge you to review the evidence for it. Read a good book like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, which, by the way, has been made into a major motion picture and is in theaters right now. You see, this is not just a story. It's not just a a fun thing we tell the kids. This is true. It's not a fairy tale. It's history. And it's the greatest comeback in all of history. In the resurrection, Jesus is forsaken no longer. You know, I believe that Jesus had the whole of Psalm 22 on His mind when He was on the cross. Not just the first verse. If you're you're reading your New Testament and you read, it quotes the Old Testament just a little bit, and you're wondering, why does it quote just that? Sometimes and often, the New Testament writer is quoting the Old Testament and you're supposed to go back and read your Old Testament to get the whole thing. right? The New Testament just quotes it, but it's supposed to bring all of these all of these thoughts and context and all the truth of the Old Testament into the New Testament context. I believe Jesus was doing that too. In fact, He might have even quoted the whole thing down to the very end on the cross. We don't know. But from forsaken to I will declare Your name to My brothers in the congregation I will praise You, Jesus was fulfilling it all. How do I know this? Well, the early church saw Jesus in these verses at the end of Psalm 22. And not just at the beginning. Verse 22 is quoted word for word in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. 
I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. And the author of Hebrews says, that's Jesus. That's Jesus saying that. And the only way he can say it is if Jesus has risen from the dead. And he has. He is forsaken no longer. And because he is forsaken no longer, we are never forsaken. Because of the resurrection, we are never forsaken. God says to his children who have put their faith in Jesus, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And it's all because of the resurrection. Think with me a little bit about what Psalm 22 predicts. It predicts that we will become the brothers and sisters of Christ. Look with me at verse 22 again. I will declare your name to who? To my brothers. And according to Hebrews 2, that's Jesus saying that. So who are Jesus' brothers? It's you and me. Do you know that Jesus never called His disciples brothers until after the resurrection? He called them by their names. He called them His children. He called them His disciples. He called them His little flock. But it wasn't until Mary ran into Jesus in the garden that He said this. John 20, verse 17. Go to My brothers and tell them, I am returning to My Father and Your Father, to My God and Your God. Isn't that interesting? The resurrection makes us the brothers and sisters of Jesus by adoption and by new birth. And if you are the spiritual brother of Jesus, do you think you're going to be forsaken? No way. Read Romans chapter 8 sometime to see how secure and loved are the children of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, our elder brother. Because He is risen. We are never forsaken. If you have one word that you come away from t- this morning, you all, I know you'll come away with He is risen. Christ is risen indeed. If, if there's another word I want you to come away with, it's brothers. Sister. I am brother or sister to Christ because of the resurrection and because of that, I will never be forsaken no matter how it feels. And it's more than that. We're not just brothers. We're satisfied together. Look at verse 25. From you comes a theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. Now the poor there in verse 26 could be translated afflicted or meek. These are the ones who know that they are needy. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that you're needy? Do you feel your spiritual need? Do you know that you're hungry? I don't know about you, but I get to the last hymn on Sunday morning and my stomach starts to rumble. It's just trained. It just knows Heather's got something in the crock pot. Today, there's a ham in the oven. It was turned on, right, before we left? It was turned... That was my brother's one job. One job. Turn on the oven. Have I got you hungry yet? You're thinking about Easter lunch? Do you know you're spiritually hungry? Because it's only those who know that they're spiritually hungry that will be satisfied. But all who know they're spiritually hungry, who come to Christ, are satisfied. He's the bread of life. 
and their hearts will live forever. Do you see how the kingdom comes here? Do you see how the psalm goes big? Bigger than David could have ever imagined? Verse 27, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Does that, does that include the people of Pennsylvania? How far are we away from, from Jerusalem where David probably wrote this? We're like on the other side of the world, right? We're at the ends of the earth right now. We're fulfilling this psalm. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Who's that? Everybody, right? Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, for He has done it. What's that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus goes from equality with God to taking on the form of a servant, becoming one of us, and humbling Himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's the next verse say? Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father forever and ever. Amen. Because of the resurrection, we will never be forsaken. And when I say never, I mean never. And when I say never, I mean never. We can't conceive of eternity. But this is saying we will enjoy Jesus forever. Kingdom come. World without end. Amen. Amen. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. How should we respond to the greatest comeback ever? Three things, real quick. Number one, repent. Look down at verse 27. Here's what we're supposed to do. All the ends of the earth, we said that's Pennsylvania, will remember and turn to the Lord. Another word for that is to repent. Jesus has come back from the dead and He is calling for our allegiance to Him. He doesn't just want us to nod our heads and say, what's up, Jesus? Welcome back. Right? No. No, He wants us to say, I turn from my sin. I trust in You. I want to to become Your follower. Please take me as Your own. If He's come back from the dead, He deserves our all. Don't wait for this. Don't wait until Jesus completes His comeback. When He comes back from heaven, there will be no second chances. Now is the time to turn to Him and be saved. Repent. If you forsake Jesus, you will be forsaken. He said that. But Jesus says, if you come to Me, I'll never drive you away. His arms are open wide. Turn away from whatever direction you're going in and run into them. Repent and come to Jesus.
Number two, praise. Isn't that the theme of this last third of Psalm 22? Verse 22, I will praise you. Verse 23, praise Him, honor Him, revere Him. Verse 25, the theme of my praise. Verse 26, they will praise Him. Verse 27, bow down before Him. Jesus is alive and that changes everything. Including our worship. That's why we're here in this building today, isn't it? To to raise the rafters with praise that up from the grave He arose. Christ is risen. We are never forsaken, so we have every reason to praise God. We can't sing enough. We can't praise enough. In His suffering and death, Jesus has brought unbelievable blessing to every one of His children. So we sing and we praise and we revere and we worship Him and we tell others. Number three and last, proclaim. Look at verse 30 once again. Posterity will serve Him Future generations will be what? Told about the Lord. Who's going to do the telling? Friends, that's our job. We're the future generations. They will proclaim the righteousness to a people yet unborn. For He has done it. It is finished. And it's our job to tell other people. Who do you need to tell this week that Jesus is no longer forsaken and therefore anyone who comes to Him in faith will never be forsaken? Because they won't know it on their own. It's our job to get the word out. In past years, we've had a baptism at this point in the service. Someone has gotten up and praised Jesus' name in the assembly. I think it's appropriate for us to end this service today planning to be that person this week in somebody else's life. To whom could you proclaim it? Jesus planned to get up on that Resurrection Sunday morning, and declare God's faithfulness to Him even after being forsaken for us. The greatest comeback ever. We should plan to get up tomorrow and go declare God's faithfulness to us because we will never be forsaken. Amen? Let's pray together. Praise You, praise You, praise You, praise You honor You, revere You. Thank You for what Jesus did for us. Thank You that on His lips were, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Because we know why. It was for us. And thank You that He did not stay forsaken. That He returned from the dead. He came back to life to give us life. I pray for anyone here who has not yet turned, not yet repented, that they would do so right now. They would turn away from their way of life, the road they're walking on, and run into the arms, so to speak, of Jesus. His arms are wide open saying, come to me. Come. I pray, Father, that some, many, would come that they would realize that this is where life is. It's found in Christ and Him alone. And for all of us who have come, I pray that we would praise You. That we would lift Your name on high, not just today when we're all gathered in the room, but out there in the world. And every single day, we would rejoice that Christ is risen indeed. And that changes everything. It makes us brothers. 
and sisters, not just of one of us, uh, to, to each other, but of Christ. He's our elder brother, and because of that, we will never be forsaken. There is no separating us from your love because we're your children. We declare it. Help us, Lord, to declare it to the world, to proclaim it, even to generations unborn right now, to tell children and our children's children and our neighbors and friends and coworkers and even strangers and even enemies what Jesus has done. We pray this in His powerful, resurrected name. Amen.